Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey, everybody. It's Troy from Tap Market Podcast. Today, we've got Nick Rakuya here from Sinless Snacks. Nick, say hello. Tell everybody what the brand's about and how you got started. Sounds good. What's going on, everyone? My name is Nick Rakuya. I'm the founder and CEO of Sinless Snacks. We create great tasting, healthy versions of your favorite treats. Our main focus right now is to make all of our products taste good, have low sugar and moderate protein. So that's kind of our approach to making healthier snack options. Our current lineup right now is a lemon biscotti cookie, a chocolate chip cookie dough bar, and a sinless marshmallow crisp, which is basically a healthy guilt-free version of a Rice Krispie treat. So I'm just going to some of the backstory or? Yeah, tell us how you got started in this because the story to me is interesting. This brand isn't necessarily where you started in the snack industry, but the snack industry is also not where you started. So you can even go back to the days of the nine to five if you want. Sounds good. Yeah, so I went to school for accounting. I became a CPA. I worked in the industry for about five years and just absolutely hated it the whole time. Always knew I wanted to kind of run my own business, but didn't know what I wanted to do or where to start. So one day I just got kind of fed up with the day-to-day of the nine to five. I joined an online business incubator back in 2017. And that incubator essentially let me work underneath the wing of an entrepreneur to kind of learn how to build an online business from him. At the same time, I was also super overweight and depressed about it. So I started doing a keto diet. Ended up losing like 33 pounds in like six months on it. Loved it. Loved all the food you could eat on it, but there was no snacks on it at the time in the market. And I'm a big snacker. So basically, I started just making recipes here in my apartment. Ended up making, you know, a couple of good brownies and bars that I really liked that helped me adhere to the diet. So while I was doing that, I was kind of thinking like, hey, this might actually be a a good business idea. Considering there was no snacks in the market, I could eat everything on keto, but just the snacking option was, was very limited. So essentially, I started working through the incubator, found a manufacturer to help make my first product. So I went through that through about six months of R&D, building my first brand. It was called Keto Brownie. Ended up launching that product in June 2017. And I went through two years of like really, really explosive sales in that period, which was awesome. And then unfortunately, 2020 came. COVID was pretty rough on me. I ended up losing pretty much all of my inventory to spoilage. Sales went down dramatically due to COVID and Amazon pushing out my shipping times from one day to about four weeks. So that really hurt my conversion rate. So yeah, I ended up pretty much moving on from that brand and working with an investment group at the end of 2020 to kind of build out the vision I had for my current brand, which is Sinless Snacks. So I've been running Sinless Snacks for about two and a half years now. So technically my second brand, more like a piggyback brand based on my first brand. When you launched the first brand, how did you build your audience? Because I'm assuming that you leveraged your first brand audience to launch Sinless. Exactly. Yeah. So Keto Brownie, my first brand, is basically where I learned everything. That was like my college of entrepreneurship in the snack industry, at least. So what I did to build my initial brand, Keto Brownie, was I just leveraged Instagram and social media at the time. Back then, Instagram had like amazing organic reach. So you know, I would post basically a picture of like a stick of butter with a quote on it and get like hundreds and hundreds of likes. 
So the reach was amazing. I was doing a lot of giveaways also, just like sign up for my email list. I'll give away free product, giveaways for boxes of snacks, and also just doing like cross promos with other keto brands and some micro influencers at the time. So yeah, it was was 100% organic growth through social media and through email marketing. So I still have customers on my email list from 2017 that still open, read my emails to this day. Email marketing has been pretty much the biggest driver of off Amazon revenue for me. So yeah, those are the two keys to kind of growing my initial brand, which was social media and email marketing. And obviously, I leveraged the uh, power of Amazon. So I was cultivating the relationships with my customers through email marketing, sending them to Amazon and just uh, getting reviews in and getting ranged really well for the product. So that helps kind of the explosive growth behind Keto Brownie. You mentioned Amazon being the main sales channel for you. How were you building the asset of the email list off Amazon? What was like the actual like detail to the tactics that you would do? And do you remember like what percentage you would convert to something like an email marketing list? I just basically had the link in my bio on Instagram and that's how I was doing the majority of the signups just through giveaways and then cross promos with other groups. I did later test like Facebook, Instagram ads. So I tried so many opt-ins for like lead magnets, keto recipe books, weight loss guides, stuff like that. So I collected hundreds, maybe a couple thousand emails through that effort. And then just also when you sell a product through Facebook, Instagram ads, you capture the emails too. So I started pushing customers to my website to acquire their emails that way, especially with the use of things like sample packs. People love sample packs. It's a low cost way to try the product. So I got a lot of email signups through sample packs. Basically, just any way I could, I was focusing on email marketing. Everything I was doing was essentially directing them to the email list where I was emailing regularly two, three, four times a week and just trying to build a connection through through email marketing just so they know who's running the brand. All my emails are essentially text only. I don't, I don't use branding. I don't use images. I don't use videos. It's just pure plain text that I send out. Every email is written from me, addressed from Nick. So just repetitive email marketing for them to put a name to the brand. That's super interesting because you really personalized the brand to get to know the customers. Do the customers interact back with you very much in the emails because of that? Yeah, so I get really good open rates, probably like 30% on average. And then, yeah, the engagement's high too. Like if I ask for feedback, if you want to buy a sample and try this product and give me feedback, I get pretty responsive. It's usually sometimes... 50, 75, 100 people who reply back and help me out with whatever I'm asking for, which is awesome. Yeah, so I do have a very engaged audience on the email list through those efforts. And that's just a product of emailing regularly, sending personal emails, sharing stories, sharing stories about the brand, sharing stories about me, like what I'm working on for in my personal life or weight loss or fitness and stuff like that. Most brands, I feel like just send a generic email saying, hey, 10% off, here's the product or hey, we're launching this, go buy it. Mine is the story the whole time. I'm starting today talking about the product I'm building three months from now. So when I launch it, people have been following the journey on email the whole time. And it's not just a you know an email with my logo at the top saying, go buy my product. It's like, hey, this guy's been working on this for three months. Like He told me the story about how his manufacturer like screwed him and he had to go find a new manufacturer. Or you know he showed me the, the packaging, the before and after. He asked me like what I wanted to change on the packaging. So just kind of like bringing the customer through the experience of building the actual product. That way, when I do launch the product, they're really excited to try it. They feel like they've been a part of a process and they're just going to be more engaged with your brand. When you email them, do you have like a an automation process that you send them out well in advance? Or are you actually writing them like week to week? Yeah. How much of that are you like automating, I guess? Because it sounds like you're almost in tune with what you're literally doing 
on the weekly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't automate any of it. The only automations we have is like if a customer places an order, they'll get like some generic, here's information about the product, how to use it. Maybe here's a free uh, ebook if you bought a product that comes with an ebook. Those are really the only type of automatic emails we send or the usual pop-up, get a percentage off that puts them into a flow sequence where they get that coupon so they can use it immediately. But even those, I have a front email where it's personalized from me. But yeah, I write all the emails live week to week. I just like doing it. I don't like planning it out because I feel like I'm more creative when I just do it on the spot. Yeah, And I've got pretty good at just pulling out random emails from things that happen to me during the day. So it just helps kind of build the email marketing skill. And I feel like it just makes it more natural and organic rather than me sitting down today, writing 30 emails and mapping out the next two months of emails. It's just interesting because I think a lot of people would find themselves stuck in this if I acquire a new customer today, how do I really get them engaged with my story if I'm two and a half years along in my journey? I've got to find a way to tell them a little bit of the backstory. But maybe they're catching that through social media, or maybe you can, your onboarding email that you send them can give them a little bit of a backstory. Yep. And I know you use a, a tool. The name of the tool is escaping me. Yeah, Bonjour. Yeah, Bonjourno. Yeah. Tell everybody about this. I think it's an interesting tool. I saw you talking about it recently. I'm literally deploying it because of you right now in one of my brands. So awesome. I got to get a commission off this software. I got I got to contact them. I'm putting a lot of people onto it. I need I need to start seeing some checks come my way. But um, yeah. Well, to touch on your first point, I think yeah, I agree. You kind of want to like catch up somebody. So I think some ways to do that is use an about us page and then just direct it to them. Spend time building a nice about us page with your picture on it, your story, all that stuff. And if you want to add that in the first email, you can just be like, hey, if you want more information about how I started or more information on me, check out our About Us page. So that kind of saves you an email. You can just send them to the About Us page. You can also just use a intro sequence. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You could build out four or five emails talking about the history of the brand and then just start emailing them as if they've been on your list forever. Those kind of like two workarounds with it. And then, yeah, so moving into Bonjour, it's basically... A software that integrates with your email or your Shopify, and you can just record a personalized video. So it would look like this right now. I just send these all the time. This is basically like half of my day at this point. I'm sending it to a ton of people. Uh, anytime anyone purchases, anytime somebody joins the email list, I just send a personal video, just introducing myself, thanking them for purchasing, supporting my brand, depending on like what I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to get feedback, maybe I'll ask for feedback on the product. That's usually kind of the default. It's just like, hey, like, did you like the product? I'm curious to hear it because that's like pretty much the best part about running a snack brand is hearing what your customers have to say about your product. Otherwise, you know, I'm just a product someone's buying on the, on the internet and trying and they don't know who I am. I don't know if they liked it, what they didn't like. It helps me for future product development, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm using Bonjour a ton. Highly recommend it. It again, helps create a personalized connection. So using that with email marketing, you know, if somebody comes to my website, orders, gets a video of me introducing myself, they're more likely to open the email when it says, hey, this is from Nick. Like I've seen that person, I know who it is. It just helps make it all cohesive. Yeah. Do you get video testimonials from that too that you can use as user-generated content as well? I haven't really asked for that. I haven't been like, hey, send me a video of you with the product. Maybe I'll just ask for feedback or if they want to leave a review on, on my website or something like that. But for UGC, I mostly just focus um, using through influencers or TikTok, just DMing them. I mean, I get a lot of inbound requests, honestly, for that. People just saying, I'm in the health and food space, would love to try the product. Usually it's a pretty easy ask. Just send them a sample pack to say, you know, I'd be happy to send you a sample of the product in exchange for some UGC and they're more than happy to do it. Yeah. And when you do the email lead magnets with the samples, I've seen this happen in like the supplement space a lot. 
where they'll just do like a free samples. All you have to do is cover the cost of shipping. Do you even make them do the shipping? Yeah, I've played extensively with free plus shipping offers. So I've done free plus shipping. So essentially the product's free. They just pay shipping to cover a majority of the cost. I've done sample packs where they pay a normal price and then shipping's free. But I mean, a lot of the times it's hard because sometimes I feel like you get a lot of people who want something for free or just want to try something, but really don't have any intent of buying it. So you have to be like really delicate around that as far as acquiring a customer who just wants something for free versus like somebody who actually is interested in supporting the brand, trying the product and, you know, is going to have some lifetime value for your brand. So where are you today with the brand from a, maybe like a people served or reach perspective? Yeah. So I think uh, the last time I kind of ran the numbers, I think we were, you know, close to 50,000 customers and orders. That's including my other brand. So over the life of Keto Brownie and Simla Snacks, yeah, we've we've started about like 50,000 customers between Amazon and my website. And with 50,000 customers, you've got a pretty extensive reach now. How has your targeting switched over time from some of the unscalable stuff that you do very early on in getting reach to today in serving your customer and getting them coming back to buy from you, expanding the lifetime value and the average order value with your customers. How has that changed now that you've gotten more consistently larger? I feel like it really hasn't changed all that much. I'm still kind of just focusing on the same process, building the customer connection through emailing. It kind of just builds that connection between me and the customer. And that inherently builds up lifetime value, repeat order rate. And then the other part just comes down to focusing on the product. So just building a great product, building something unique, something that isn't flooded in the market and is appealing to the customer. Between those two efforts, I feel like that's kind of the ideal combo to gain more customers and retain more customers. But yeah, just still focusing on relationship building. As far as lifetime value, it's just a matter of putting out more products that they want. And that can be done by asking them for feedback. I've done that plenty with surveys, just sending out a simple survey. Hey, you know, you've bought this product this many times. What are some other products that you'd like to see? Sometimes I'll leave it open-ended, just like, hey, input whatever you want, or I'll send out a a bullet point list. Here's like 10 things I'm thinking of making. Just rank them or or let me know which ones sound appealing to you. And customers love filling those out. I get really high engagement on those. It's low ask on their part. It helps serve them because they're obviously in the market for healthy snacks. So if it's something they want to see, they'll gladly tell you. And you've launched several additional products beyond the ones that we have core in market today. So it's not like you're launching a product and you and that's just a winner every single time. It's gone full circle a few times for you, correct? Yeah. And I mean, I'm learning more and more that you're going to have to just go through a lot of products to really find ones that are killing it. With Keto Brownie, I mean, I had my main product was basically a keto bar. I had three flavors of that, but I also reformulated that product. I want to say like six or seven times over. So just that alone is basically like six, seven different iterations of that product. I also launched like a brownie mix, a fat bomb mix, a chocolate nut butter, which was similar to Nutella, a low sugar version of that. So just in my previous brand, yeah, I probably went through like six, seven, eight SKUs. This brand, we launched these three products. We also had a cereal bar that we cut last year. So yeah, between the two brands, I'm at probably 10 to 12 SKUs, iterations of product. And there's, there's one in the product lineup right now that's struggling a bit that we may look at discontinuing. But we also have two new ones in the pipeline right now. So yeah, it's pretty much a nonstop effort on product development as far as making the product better, getting feedback, seeing what we can change if, if we need to, and just trying to think of more unique things to bring to the market. But that's just the name of the game. I wish everything you launched could be a home run. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It is time-consuming, capital-intensive, making a product and bringing it to market, but that's just the name of the game. You know, when we were at Capcom this year, we actually heard from Four Sigmatic founder, and it was kind of a breath of fresh air. I think he said 
his bestseller wasn't until his 17th skew or something like that. It was like high teens. So, you know, I got five or six skews just to get there. So hopefully, hopefully my 17th is a home run like that. Yeah, I think that's right. You just got to keep chugging along and doubling down on your home runs. Now, one of the things that you also take part in are masterminds. I know you're in a couple of them yourself now, and you've got this company. You're very much the face of it. We've been talking about this on the podcast recently a lot. How do you get it all done in a day, in a week? Are you outsourcing some of your work? We talk about the owner's model at capitalism.com, leveraging VAs and agencies. How much are you doing and how much are you layering off and how do you decide how to go about some of those decisions? Yeah. So um, as far as agencies, the main thing we outsource is digital advertising. So Facebook, Instagram advertising, Amazon PPC advertising. Those are the two main things we outsource. I do have somebody helping me with email automation on the backend side, but that's mostly on backend email marketing. And that's relatively new too. So but yeah, historically, it's pretty much just been me handling most of the day to day. I still do customer service. So if a customer emails in, I'm, I'm the one actually talking to them. Sometimes I even just put it from my my email address, Nick at Sinless Snacks. So it's again, it's just more personal. It's not just a general inbox helping someone. So yeah, for, as far as outsourcing, those are the two main areas we outsource. Obviously, we outsource manufacturing, which is the biggest part about running a snack brand is making the product. I know there's some snack brands that are still kind of doing that in-house or through a, a shared kitchen and stuff like that. But I've been using manufacturers since day one. So that's obviously the biggest piece outsource. And then using something like Amazon kind of outsources the headache of warehousing, shipping, and all that stuff. So once the product is made in at the fulfillment centers, yeah, we're pretty much just spearheading sales, marketing, customer service, uh, and social media. So those are kind of like the three, four main areas I'm taking care of right now. So Nick, now that you have these three core products coming along and you've got a few more on the way, you've got basically a process that you're kind of rinsing and repeating where do you go from here? What's the next step that you see on your six-month, 12-month plan that you need to execute on that helps you get to that next level? Is there a change in the way that you're operating the future business to help you reach that scale? What do you envision or dream the future of Sinless to be? Yeah. So right now, kind of our main focus for the next six to 12 months is getting two more, hopefully, home run products out. We're working on two right now that I uh, can confidently say do not exist anywhere in the market. So they're going to be very unique, hopefully first to market on both of those. Yeah, we're just looking for like two more home runs on that. And I feel like between what we have, the three current products we have now and the addition of these two, it's going to put us in a really, really good space going forward. And we're also looking at raising capital in the future to help scale digital advertising more aggressively. Right now, we actually do like really, really well organically on Amazon with our products. But again, we're looking to aggressively scale uh, the PPC side of it and also our off Amazon advertising channels to just acquire more customers. That's really just the name of the game. There's nothing we're going to looking to change in like a major way. It's just getting out a couple more really good products and uh, scaling the advertising. I've noticed this theme with other food focused brands launching direct to consumer, leveraging Amazon or a Shopify store, and then transitioning to retail. You have a long runway that you can still go down direct to consumer, but is that in your path or is that something that you see that being maybe more of an exit strategy with like a potential acquirer to take you into that and not be their opportunity? Yeah, so we definitely like talked about retail between my business partners and I. Right now we're focused on optimizing kind of what we're doing. So as far as we barely scratched the surface on paid media, you know, we've tested some months here and there with like a decent sized budget. But I mean, as far as consistently ramping up and scaling advertising across these channels, we barely scratched the surface. So I think our main focus is hammering 
those channels right now, getting a couple more products. And we're also working on reformulating our main product and getting manufacturing change right now. So that's going to help bring down our cost and our lead time significantly. So once all of those pieces are in play, then something like retail becomes a bit more attractive to us with better lead times, better margins, and hopefully an even bigger customer base to help push towards a retail push. I think it's going to be easy to sell the idea to retail when you have this customer base that you can bring to the retail and say, look at how many people have already adopted us, right? Yep. We can send people to your stores to buy this. And I think that's what everybody generally is testing, right? Can you create an audience of raving fans online? If you can prove that you can generate that, retail is almost like this sleepy, slow-moving process that you graduate to now. And therefore, it's relatively, quote-unquote, easy. But it has its own headaches as well with wholesale pricing and distribution. And they have a lot of power as buyers too that make it really hard for a brand early on to to really even capitalize that. Unless you've got deep pockets, you may not be able to manufacture what's necessary to put on their shelves. Yeah, I feel like retail, everybody throws around retail. It's It seems super sexy. Oh, I'm in stores. Again, at Capcom, one of the speakers was saying retail is like his lowest margin sales channel, but it's just good for like exposure, brand building. Obviously, if you're trying to exit, retail helps. But when you're trying to get into retail, I mean, you're going to need a lot of cash because nobody's paying you up front. Usually they're floating you 30, probably 60 days. And then even if you're manufacturing, usually your manufacturer requires a deposit 30, 60 days in advance. So you're looking at three to four months of cash conversion just on that. And then once you actually get your product into retail, you still have to have sales velocity for them to keep expanding you across stores and and across the country. If you just put your product on the shelf and no one buys it, they're not going to keep you there. Yeah, I think that's spot on. You have a few people you mentioned that were advisors to you. How did you find them? And was there a specific need that you thought you needed to bring them on? I think a lot of solo entrepreneurs especially can feel overwhelmed in trying to run every aspect of this business. And anybody I ever talk to, I try to encourage them to either have a business partner or if they go out and raise capital or create advisors to find them in these areas that you feel like you're you're not personally sufficient in to fill the gaps. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to like maybe what you're deficient in or what you need help in. If capital is is kind of something you're looking at, I mean, if you don't want to go traditional financing with banks or loans and stuff like that, and you can find kind of a strategic partner or advisor to come on board that'll bring capital connections, that helps move the needle in that department. So that's one way to kind of look at it. But yeah, there, I mean, there's like so many business mentors out there and tons of ways to connect with your network, either through masterminds or online community forums, stuff like that, where if you're looking for some sort of mentor advisor, that's like where I personally found pretty much all of my business partners or advisors or or the masterminds I've joined is just through networking. So I just try and go to a lot of meetups, entrepreneur events, conferences. Like you mentioned, I'm in a couple of masterminds. So Basically, just through networking events is, is where I've kind of found all of those pieces to help plug into into the brand. And there's different ones out there for people, too. We met through Ryan Daniel Moran and his incubator and capitalism.com. But they have an early stage version of their incubator called the 1%. And I want to say it's like 99 bucks a month. Yeah. But there's literally, I think, a thousand people technically involved. When you include all the coaches mm-hmm. and all the mentors and all the resources, and then all the entrepreneurs as well, that's relatively short money. And that comes with all of the courses that are involved with the 1% too, let alone the connections and the weekly calls 
and the meetups and then access to being able to go to things like the CapCon event. For anybody out there that is doing it themselves, finding a small community like that of like-minded people. If you're listening to this, you're probably already thinking that way, right? You've already read a few of these books. You've listened to a few of these podcasts. But if you're on the fence on whether to take part in one, find one like that that you can pay just a monthly fee. And even if you just do it for a quarter and get as much as you can from it, you'll probably be in it for a year, maybe for life, if you even give it a try for a quarter, because it's it's really worth it. Yeah, 100%. I would highly recommend something like that. I don't even think they had stuff like that when I was starting. Something like $100 a month is virtually no money to learn from people who have done it before, get access to coaches, mentorship, live calls, build your network, community, like you said, courses and, and materials to help you grow the business. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. I joined an incubator from day one. Mine was like, I think, four grand for two months. So it was a decently heavy investment, but I mean, I was pretty much desperate to get out of accounting. So I, I would have paid anything to get going. But yeah, I'd highly recommend doing an incubator. There's just no reason not to. I always believe in spending money and investing on yourself is the best money ever spent to either grow your skill set, your network, or just get more experience around business. Yeah, I completely agree. So how can this community help support you? I know you've got anybody can go to sinlessnacks.com. They can go on Amazon and buy the products today if they prefer to buy through there. You've got Instagram, Facebook, which are basically at Sinless Snacks. What can this community do to help support you? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I feel like Amazon reviews are still king. It's still something I'm heavily focused on getting as many Amazon reviews as possible. If you're interested in low sugar, healthy snacks and you have an Amazon Prime account, punch in sinless snacks, grab one of our three products, leave a customer review. That would be awesome. Helps the brand a ton. Yeah, and I will be posting the link so it's easy for people to go there directly. I'll be doing a review on the products as well. I eat these. They're literally in this office with me. So like, they're kind of my snack right now because I have a few boxes Nick was nice enough to send to me. So now, now they're my snack. But I'll do a review on these for everybody to understand a little bit more about the three products that are out today. I think we've got maybe a, uh, a reformulation of the Rice Krispie treat coming out maybe. Yeah, that one's in the pipeline, hopefully this fall. I'm getting a big batch of samples actually tomorrow here. So I'm super excited. I've already tried some of them, but these are like the final, final samples. But yeah, it's going to be more protein, a bigger size snack. It tastes incredible. I feel like it blows that product out of the water. And I already feel like that's kind of a home run product based on sales, customer feedback on it, people who try it. Yeah, I'm really excited to get that new formulation out. I think it's going to really do well. So I make my nine-year-old pack his own lunch. I make my 15-year-old pack her own lunch too. But she was the firstborn. So she doesn't try to lie, cheat, or steal. But my nine-year-old is the secondborn. He likes to lie, cheat, and steal. And when he packs his own lunch, I already know something's up. But I caught him packing his own lunch the other day. And he took the Rice Krispie tree and put it in his own lunch box <laughs> because he liked it. So I'll put that shameless plug in there. Graham, if you're listening to this, that's my son. I'm on to you, bud. Don't eat all the Rice Krispie treats. We need some for the videos. That's awesome. Thanks, Graham. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I appreciate you coming on and telling the story. You talk about it so nonchalantly. But I know you've really put in the time and effort here. You've been doing this for years yep. to get to the point to where you are today. And it is really nice to see you seeing some of these tailwinds, some of the success. So I wish you all the all the continued success. We'll have you back here as you launch stuff. We can launch it to the audience and tell people to come get more 
But, Bud, I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, thanks for having me on. It was fun. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bud. Bye. Take care. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes, so we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends. This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way, and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.